Better Off Bald, A Life in 147 Days. A serialized non-fiction podcast that chronicles the story of 15-year-old Adrian Wilson's 147-day battle with primary liver cancer. As she lay dying, Adrian taught others, including her older sister Andrea, who raised her, how to live. Welcome back to Better Off Ball, The Life in 147 Days. I am your host and storyteller, Andrea Wilson-Wiz. Whether you're watching the video or listening to the podcast, I really appreciate you tuning in. Let's get started. Days 84 through 89, Tuesday through Sunday, August 7th through the 12th, 2001. Six smiley faces. Six. Woohoo! My sister does, expects me to be strong all the time, or at least she wants me to be, just because she won't accept the idea of me becoming weak or dying. Ah, uh, but I feel like giving up at this point, and I know I won't or can't, but I want to. Adrian's journal entry dated August 11th, 2001. Adrian wakes up with a runny nose and a slight cough. Even though her blood test yesterday confirmed her immune system was healthy, she caught a cold from someone over the weekend. The exposure to people at the movie theater, the shopping mall, and medieval times was too much for her body. Now I realize I cannot rely on the blood test alone to determine when Adrian can interact with the public. The Nupogen shot I give her every morning artificially boosts her immune system. While the medicine does increase her white blood cells, it is not natural. Adrian's body is not producing them on its own. The Nupogen serves as a band-aid to a much bigger problem. Chemotherapy kills the cancerous as well as the healthy cells. Even with highly elevated WBC and ANC levels, Adrian's body was not as protected from germs as I thought it was. I should have known better. At 11 o'clock, Adrian and I arrive at the Children's Hospital Clinic for her pre-chemo checkup. Near the elevators, we run into five-year-old Janelle and her mother, who has tears in her eyes. I don't know if I should ask what's wrong, since we have only met once before, but I feel I must. Is, um, is everything okay? Janelle's mother nods her head. Yes. Yes. It's, it's gone. No more. I hug this woman I barely know as a tinge of jealousy shoots through my body. I'm so happy for you. I look at Janelle as she skips around in circles. She seems oblivious to what must be the best news her mother has ever heard. That's wonderful, Janelle. She smiles and continues humming a tune, but somewhere in those chocolate brown eyes, I sense an understanding. No more shots, no more clinic, no more hospital. No more cancer. We come back. Six months, says her mother. I smile while my brain shouts. Six months? She must be cured if she doesn't need to come back for six months. Adrian and I wave goodbye to Janelle and her mother as they walk into the elevator and the door shut behind them. I cling to hope. Children can be cured. People do survive. But Janelle had leukemia not liver cancer. It's not the same. 
I want to hear, come back in six months. But then I remember that awful statistic, two-year survival, less than 5%. Fuck you, less than 5%. We do not hear, come back in six months, you're cured. Instead, Dr. Marco chides me for not tapering Adrian off Marinol sooner. Starting today, give it every eight hours, tomorrow every 12 hours, and then one time the following day. She never should have stayed on Marinol so long. The discharge papers didn't say anything about decreasing the dosage over time, or I would have done it. I cannot tell if he believes me or not. I wish I had those papers with me so I can prove either he didn't order the drug to be tapered off or someone made a mistake doing the paperwork. I didn't do anything wrong. I agreed to reduce the Marinol and wonder how it will affect Adrian's appetite. Her weight is holding at 125 pounds, 18 pounds less than before. I do the math in my head. On average, Adrian is losing 1.5 pounds per week. I wonder why no one seems concerned about that number. When I express my concerns about her weight, Adrian changes the subject, sort of. Speaking of Marinol, Adrian says, Dr. Marco, can I have a new kitten? He's half Bombay and half Siamese and all black with six toes on every foot, and he's mellow. I named him Marinol. Isn't that cool? Please. Oh, come on. Say no. I can't take on another responsibility. Dr. Marco laughs but stops when he sees the look on my face. Uh, well... I suppose so, as long as you don't get scratched and you don't handle the feces in any way. Damn, I can't believe we're getting another cat. Adrian cheers. Don't worry, Sissy cleans the cat litter now, and I'll be careful with his claws, because our other cat did scratch me by accident. There was some blood. Very little, I say, although I can see Dr. Marco is losing interest. Why did he have to add one more thing to my plate? Because it makes Adrian happy. He can't cure her, but he can give permission for a pet. Okay, time to examine you. Dr. Marco presses Adrian's abdomen several times. Hmm, what? What is it? I bite the corner of my lip. Well, don't get too excited, but the liver feels smaller horizontally now, but that's based solely on my touch. The CAT scan after the next round of chemotherapy will tell us more. I feel hopeful. Adrian's liver is smaller? Maybe? Possibly? Doctors hate using definitive terms. Any news about her AFP? 1.4 million, Dr. Marco replies with a straight face. Great. We're back to where we started. From 1.4 to 2 to 1.7 to 1.4 again. Dr. Marco agrees Adrian has a cold, but her lungs are clear. No signs of pneumonia. He warns Adrian. Remember, I know, Adrian sighs, be careful. Right. You can blow your nose, but not too hard. We can't have a nosebleed. I know what he's really saying. The bleeding might not stop with her platelets down to 69,000. What about the coughing? Her lungs are clear, so I'm not worried. But she's coughing up green mucus. I wish Adrian could demonstrate on demand. The situation reminds me of when I take my car to the shop because it's making a noise, only it stops once I get there. If she can't stop, coughing that is, call me. I wanted to start the next round of chemotherapy on Thursday. Adrian's jaw drops, but her platelets are still too low. Oh, good, we just got out of this place. 
If all goes well, we'll begin on Monday. Dr. Marco doesn't see Adrian smile as he walks out. We don't want our platelets to be low, of course, but he just bought us more time at home. Hey, kiddo, you're getting your kitten. You won. The corners of her mouth turn upward, and I see teeth. Yep, told ya. When can you pick up Marinol, sissy? She asks. On Friday, he's available for adoption. I'll go as soon as they open. In case she got her way, I memorized the date, Friday, August 10th. I will go to the shelter and bring Ebony's twin home. The next two days trudge by as Adrian waits for her new kitten, and I try to balance her meds, ride the seesaw. As I taper off the Marinol, Adrian's nausea increases, and she vomits what little she eats, juice, top ramen, and sometimes crackers. I give her Zofran for the nausea, even though we both know it doesn't work for her as well as Marinol. I eliminate the hepatic cleanse in her evening smoothie when I realize she wakes up two mornings in a row, feeling ill. She continues drinking the morning smoothie since it is the only nutrients she can keep down, and it doesn't make her feel any worse or better. Adrian suffers from severe headaches, but her liver stops hurting, so I decrease the Dilaudid. As a result, I worry less about constipation now. Every day has a happy face, signifying one bowel movement. With every small victory, there seems to be a setback. With less Marinol in her system, Adrian is more awake and now has insomnia, which allows her to spend more time reading. She has a book report due at the end of the summer for her honors English class. Except for the emails exchanged between Adrian's teachers and me, she and I haven't talked about school much. However, with back-to-school commercials blaring from the television, we cannot ignore the topic forever. I have no idea how we're going to manage school, but we will figure it out, but not now, maybe after chemo. The night before I am supposed to pick up Marinol at the shelter, Adrian calls me into her room. John is already there doing hand duty. Adrian wants to talk. She asks questions about the past, about our mother, our grandparents, and even her father. What was she like, sissy, before she was sick? I think before answering, I conjure up early memories of our mother, and I remember a picture my father must have taken when I was seven or eight, before the divorce, long before Adrian. My mother, brother, and I were playing on the front lawn of our house in Arkansas. Aiden and I were laughing as mother tickled us. Her long, straight auburn hair whipped through the air as she smiled. I love that photo because it is proof our mother was once a happy person. Adrian never knew that woman. I'm going to tell you what I know and what I think, okay? Adrian nods and squeezes John's hand. I lie down next to her on her bed. There was a time when mother wasn't sick, and by sick I mean an addict. She was never a PTA mom, but she supported everything Aiden and I wanted to do. She drove us to his karate and my dance lessons. Before the divorce, during the summer, we spent every weekend swimming in the public pool at Ben Garen Park, in the giant pool at Lake Fort Smith, or at Kerr Lake in Oklahoma. I stop and look at Adrian. Her eyes resemble the pools of water I am talking about, but she nods for me to go on. According to my dad, mother started taking diet pills when I was about eight years old and her increasing addiction to them is what ended their marriage. She also brought home pills from the hospital. 
dozens of bottles. After working all night, she would empty her pockets in the morning and dump alcohol pads, scissors, surgical tape, syringes, and vials into what we called the junk drawer. Adrian interrupts me. I remember that stuff. She gave me vitamin shots. They made me sleepy. I cringe as the image of little Adrian, the drunken sailor, flashes through my mind. God damn you, mother. How many times did you drug her as a child? She gave me a flu shot once, too, but I never let her do it again because it hurt too much. You know, I thought it was normal that our house looked like a pharmacy, but I didn't know any better. Adrian laughs. I laugh. John does not laugh. I hold Adrian's other hand. When I left, Mother made bad choices and things got worse, which is why you came to live with me. She's a prescription drug addict, but that does not excuse her emotional neglect of you. I squeeze Adrian's hand. I am sorry you didn't get any of the good years because there were some. I watch two silent tears slide down Adrian's sharp cheekbones, chiseled by chemo. It's okay, sissy. It's good to know she wasn't all bad. I suck back my own tears as our mother's mantra echoes in my head. Life isn't fair, Andra. You're right, mother. You never gave Adrian a chance to know that once upon a time, you were a decent mother. Tell me about my dad. Adrian has heard this story before, but I don't mind repeating it. Part of me wonders if I should be worried she is asking these questions now, this journey to the past and her desire to process the truth. Adrian and I don't usually talk about this stuff. Why now? As you know, your dad was the only man who ever made mother happy, maybe the only person. I don't know where they met, but they fell in love immediately. Within weeks, your father moved into the house. I hated him. I hated that he made mother laugh. I hated that she paid more attention to him than to me, but I didn't understand. He was always nice to me, your dad. Never tried too hard. I look at Adrian and John. Her eyes droop, but she nods for me to continue. When he died in that car accident, mother said her heart felt like ground-up hamburger meat. She took pills, mostly downers. Then she discovered she was pregnant with you. We were worried about how you would turn out. And then you popped out screaming, healthy, and normal. I stop at the word normal. If only the doctors had tested Adrian for hepatitis at birth. If only we had known all these years we would have monitored her liver. If only our mother had not given her hepatitis, either during childbirth or with tainted needles during the so-called vitamin shots. If only I had made the pediatrician test Adrian for hepatitis last year. I don't say any of my thoughts aloud, but they plague me. The if-onlys in life can kill you. Adrian yawns. You have your father's eyes, kiddo. The corners of her mouth turn up, but she seems too tired to deliver a full grin. He would have been so proud of you, Adrian. I want her to know she can let go. There has to be more beneath those few tears released tonight. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to cry. I don't expect you to be strong all the time. It may appear that way, but I don't. 
I love you and John loves you. We all do. You're amazing. I'm so proud of you. Adrian, I need you to keep fighting for me. As I'm about to spin yarns about our grandparents, I realize Adrian has fallen asleep. I will save those stories for another day because we have plenty of time, or so I tell myself. Watching her breath, I see it's not too slow or too fast. Her respiratory rate appears normal. I hope she dreams about a better reality. I lie in bed thinking, how can I explain to Adrian she is the best part of my life, the best part of me, that anyone who knows me or meets me for the first time finds out about her because all I talk about is Adrian. How can I tell Adrian being her parent has been the most rewarding aspect of my life? That I cannot, will not lose her. Not now, not yet. Who will go with me to Topanga Canyon's haunted house on Halloween? Who will stain the entire bathroom blue with hair dye? Who will argue with me I have seen that episode of Law and Order when I think I haven't, but she is always right? Who will ask me to proofread her paper? So it's perfect because I need a 4.0 to get into a good college. Who will insist I watch the USC versus UCLA football game with her because you should have school spirit even though we don't like the sport? Who will test me on music I don't even listen to and expect me to know all the answers and then roll her eyes when I don't? I don't know what caused the seed of panic to grow inside of me was it Adrian's AFP count, which although lower, has returned to the beginning as if we have been wasting time running in circles? Was it her platelets, which took so long to bounce back, delaying chemo? Was it the fear of school beginning? Was it watching Adrian sit on more and more pillows like the princess on a pea because she has no ass meat? Or was it Adrian's numerous questions about the past and people who are dead or should be? I fear her desire to know more about our mother. Adrian seems to be reconciling her feelings toward mother, perhaps even forgiving her. But Adrian wouldn't do that unless she were. No, 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 no. We are fighters. We are survivors. Adrian is kicking cancer's ass, right? If that is true, then why is an unbearable anxiety fluttering through my body. I recall the last time I felt this sensation when we were evicted from the Highland Terrace apartment. I was desperate for money. Now I need so much more than money can buy. Such a tired cliche, but wait, I think maybe money can buy something. Not a cure perhaps, but what about other treatments in other countries? I have to find out what else is out there explore all of our options because we Wilson sisters don't give up. We fight until we win. Even though I don't want him, today Marinol the cat will come home and he will make Adrian happy. I arrive at the Burbank Animal Shelter 10 minutes before they open. I pace outside as I wait for someone to open the door. Another woman shows up and I worry. What if she wants him too? What happens then? We walk inside together. When the employee behind the desk asks what she can do for us, the woman and I reply at the same time. We're here to adopt a cat. Shit. 
there are not many kittens back there. The employee shrugs, gives us paperwork, and says if we want the same cat, there will be a drawing since we arrived at the same time. Bullshit. I was here before her, and I have to bring Marinol home. No other cat will do. He chose Adrian. I panic until the other woman mentions a tabby. My shoulders drop as I sigh. I'm being ridiculous. What were the odds we wanted the same kitten? Don't most people think black cats are unlucky? I pay $40 for Marinol and take him to the vet for his shots. Unfortunately, Marinol is not mellow because it's his nature. The vet diagnoses him with severe dehydration caused by the kitty flu. Another $160 later, armed with specific fluids and antibiotics, I bring Marinol home. Adrian dotes on him while little bit. Our other cat eyes the newcomer with suspicion. Despite being sick, Marinol talks nonstop and explores his new home with reckless abandon. I don't like Marinol because he looks and acts too much like our old cat Ebony, but Adrian couldn't be happier with the new addition to our family. He can't take away her pain or her nausea, but Marinol, like most pets, provides emotional comfort. Adrian tells him how she feels, and he listens. He even replies, meowing at the slightest provocation. Watching them together, I know getting him was the right thing to do, even if I am reluctant to accept him. Thank you for watching and listening to Better Off Ball, The Life in 147 Days. Please subscribe to my channel, and if you like what you're hearing, please share. And stay tuned for the next episode. You just heard a chapter from Better Off Ball, A Life in 147 Days, a story told and written by Andrea Wilson Woods. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to our podcast, share it with your friends, and leave us a review on iTunes. Thank you for listening.